welcome to the last week in our four-part series, Unreachable, having the tough conversations about Jesus. Uh, over the last three weeks, uh, we have talked about you know, having conversations with skeptics and the religious and the disinterested. Uh, but today is probably the most difficult of all of those conversations, having tough conversations about Jesus with our family members that don't know him. You know, we just saw in that video is very real in many of our homes. Many of us have thought those things ourselves, have had to work through the process of understanding. And I'll tell you what, sometimes there are things said in the context of family that would never be said anywhere else. And as a result, I recognize there are many of you here today that are here with a broken family relationships, you know, difficult family relationships, and the thought of even having conversations, yet alone conversations about spiritual matters, is really difficult. Well, we want to come alongside of you. We want to help you. We want to equip you. We want to give you some hope uh, today because uh, we truly believe that God can do all things through Christ who gives us that strength. Now, I also want to acknowledge that for those of you that are Christ followers that have been reaching out to some of your family members, brothers, sisters, children, maybe even husbands or wives, there's a real chance that for many of you or some of you, that person is with you today here in the auditorium. And, uh, you know, I want to let you know, if you're, if you're one of those people that has been prayed for, if you have been reached out to by a loving family member, recognize that it's just that. It's done out of love. Love from the Heavenly Father to them and their love for you, wanting to have the same relationship with Christ that they do. So I, I pray that if you're kicking the tires here in regards to Christianity today, that today will help you in understanding more fully what Christ is all about and his, uh, his love for you. Well, with a difficult conversation like this, a difficult topic, we said, let's bring in a national expert to help us out. So we have brought in a noted author, speaker, and an evangelist to his own family. Would you join me in giving a warm Christ community welcome to Mr. Randy Newman. Great to have you here, Randy. All right. There we go. Randy, uh, great to have you here. I, I should say, uh, welcome back, because uh, you were with us uh, before a few years ago. That's right, yep. Yeah, he was uh, talking about uh, one of his first books, Question Evangelism, to a group of our leaders uh, down in the, in the gym for a leadership dinner uh, several years ago. And I remember as we were uh, you know, looking back at that night, we just thought, boy, this is a man that's after Christ community's own heart of uh, reaching people that don't know Jesus personally. And it was just a, a great night for us. So we, when we thought of this topic, we immediately thought, let's bring Randy back. So Great. Thanks for being with us. Thanks. Thank uh, what I'd like to do is start off our time by giving you a little bit of background of, uh, of who Randy is from kind of a resume perspective, and then we'll dig into some of your, your family aspects. And uh, by the way, Randy, uh, we're not just here in St. Charles. We also want to welcome our campuses in DeKalb, Blackberry Creek, and Bartlett. So great to have uh, those joining us at those regional campuses. So Randy is the author of three books, Question Evangelism, Corner Conversations, and his newest one they're going to be talking about today, Bringing the Gospel Home. Uh, again, we had Randy here a few years ago, and it was just really well-received, so it's great to have you back, Randy. Uh, his heartbeat for reaching people for Christ is the same of ours. His wife has that same heartbeat. Uh, he's married to Pam. They have three sons. He's been on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, which is a phenomenal uh, organization ministry for reaching people for Christ since 1980. So you started when you were about 10 years old in ministry, was that, is that about right? Nine. Nine, okay, good. I was, I was Nine close and a half. there. 
And uh, he's currently serving crusade in Washington, D.C. So, Randy, great to have you with us and great to hear what God's been doing in your life. And that's resume, Randy. But let's get to know you in terms of your background. T- tell us about your family life. What was, what was your family life like growing up? And when did you come to that place of accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior? Sure. Um, well, I grew up in a Jewish home, so uh, believing in Jesus wasn't a big deal of our family. Yeah, I bet. Uh, certainly not a very uh, welcome idea. Uh, our family was pretty close-knit. We still are. Uh, and I would say that my family is very strongly culturally Jewish, but not quite so much religiously or spiritually. But I, I think I took the faith aspect of our Judaism very, very seriously. And I was really searching to try to connect with God. Uh, I thought that fulfilling the... Jewish rituals and uh, reciting the prayers would connect me, uh, and yet God always seemed distant and alien. And as I dug in and read the scriptures and read, uh, for example, the prophet Isaiah, uh, that my sins had made a separation between me and God, and I was looking for a way for that separation to be brought together. But it wasn't until uh, when I was in college, when I was 20 years old, sophomore year, uh, that it all seemed to come together after a lot of conversations, a lot of reading. Uh, Old and New Testament, reading a number of different things, conversations with friends that I came to see uh, that Jesus was the Messiah, the one predicted by Isaiah and Jeremiah and all those prophets, and that uh, Old and New Testament fit together, Judaism and Christianity fit together, uh, and so came to that realization uh, sophomore year. Wow. Now, was there any, like, one cataclysmic event, or was it just the, just the process, and, and maybe there was one conversation over Starbucks or something like that? Or? Well, it was a whole lot of conversations, but I think what, what forced the issue was there in the middle of that sophomore year, uh, a friend of mine died in a very tragic accident, and that, uh, I think, up to that point, uh, college was a lot of drinking and a lot of partying, and not really thinking all that uh, coherently about what, what this is all about. But h- sitting at his funeral forced me to say, wait a minute, I've got to get some answers. I've got to pull this together. And that's when my, my search and my digging into the scriptures and conversations became a lot more pointed and, and uh, focused. Okay, so you put your faith and trust in Christ as a sophomore, and your family threw a party, right? Is that what happened? They, they threw welcomed. something. Uh, I don't <laughs> your know if Jewish I family party. welcomed you with open arms? Oh, we're so happy. No, that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> What'd that look like? Uh, well, it didn't look pretty, I'll tell you. Um, uh, it, was, it was some strained conversations and some difficult things. Um, I remember my, uh, my parents giving me rules. Um, uh, okay, if you're gonna, I mean, they, they, it started with you know uh, trying to be open-minded and tolerant, and well, if this makes you happy, um, but but then came the the edicts of uh, don't talk to grandma and grandpa about this, and uh, don't talk to your younger brother uh, Brian about this, and uh, we hope you don't join a weird commune and move to Colorado. I don't know why they picked that state. Um, we hope you don't shave your head. <laughs> and um, and we hope you don't go try to change the world. Uh, that was, those were the, that was vivid memory. So, 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 so now later on in life, how, as you look back on those, how'd that turn out? Well, I, I love the fact that I now work for an organization that has a conference every other summer in Colorado. <laughs> um, I've never shaved my head. Um, and Bill Bright started Campus Crusade under this uh, watchword of come help change the world. So um, I haven't ever mentioned that to my parents. Now what about uh, grandma and grandpa? Uh, it was a while before I talked to them. And, and when I did, it didn't go well. Uh, they were pretty angry. That was, uh, they, they thought I was a traitor. 
so um, it doesn't always go well, but, I, but I've had some great conversations since then. Now, other family members, maybe mom or dad or, or your brother, did you, uh, did you get the opportunity at all to reach any of them for Christ? Did they ever come to a place of uh, putting their faith and trust in Christ? Well, it's, it, there's a collection of some really beautiful stories that I got a chance to tell there, and then listening to other people. Um, I, you know, I, I witnessed to my parents, uh, and uh, for the most part, it didn't go well. For the most part, it was, no, we're just not interested. I... Uh, I prayed for my parents for a very long time. I, I sent my parents lots of books. Uh, I sent my parents uh, both the English and the Hebrew version of the Jesus film, you know, the life of Jesus. Uh, my parents don't speak a word of Hebrew, um, but I, I just thought it would be so impressive to them that Jesus did. And um, Did they listen to it? No, I don't think it ever got watched. And so... Um, and so I, I hate to admit it, but I think the truth is that I gave up. I, I gave up hope, and I think I even gave up praying. Um, but, you know, God is so much more uh, faithful uh, than, than we are. And at one point, when my mom was in her early 70s, she and I were having a conversation on the phone, and she was telling me about a funeral that she had gone to of, of a man that I knew who was a very angry, bitter, atheist, skeptic, and he died a very bitter man. And uh, my mother said to me on the phone, she said, well, at least now he's in a better place. Not uncommon. And, common and I started in my mind writing a sermon I was going to preach yeah. uh, with lots of Bible verses. Uh, and, and, and I'm so grateful God stopped me because I, I'd already preached those sermons and they didn't work. And so I chose instead to ask my mother a question. And I said, well, mom, how, how do you know that? She said, how do I know what? I said, how do you know he's in a better place? And that was a very, very difficult and painful moment for her and for me. Um, but eventually she said, well, you know what? I, I, I guess I don't. And that was a breakthrough. I, I wanted to sing the Hallelujah Chorus. Wow. I mean, I, yeah, I, I awesome. talk to people about how we need to have more of a long-term perspective on it. And that was a, a moving that, that needed to have taken place. Again, my mom was about in her 70s. But that started for her an investigation and wrestling. Um, when my mom was in her mid-70s, she sent me an email saying that she was going to start reading the New Testament. My wow. Jewish mother. Wow. Jewish mothers do not say that to their sons very often, in case you were wondering. Um, I often tell people all those Jewish mother jokes you've heard, they're true and they're not funny. Um, <laughs> And when it comes to witnessing to a Jewish mother, you know, yeah, that was tough stuff. But, but she started wrestling with what she was reading in the scriptures. And my mom, my Jewish mother at age 75 came to faith. Wow. I have this. Wow. Uh, thanks. That's awesome. <laughs> I have a picture on my computer. Uh, whenever I'm in the mood to cry, it's a picture of my mother being baptized at age 75. Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned in your story that there was a, a funeral and a death of a friend that was uh, uh, you know, important in your life, and in your mom's there was a death as well. It, it just reminded me that uh, you know, it's a great opportunity for us 
in a difficult situation, but when, uh, when we're in, in a, in, with our families in moments of, of death or funerals, that those might be great opportunities to be able to uh, ask some questions about where people are and our family members in regards to, uh, to their eternity. And that also the question you asked your mom is one that uh, was presented in uh, his book here, Question Evangelism, with the basic premise of asking questions to help people process what it is that they, uh, that they believe. So, well, you know, we have got a, a lot of us that are here today that have family members that um, have not come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And that's, that's, you know, we want more than anything for that to occur in their lives. But we don't maybe feel like we're, we have the gift of evangelism. We can't lead somebody to the, to the Lord between the third and fourth floors in, a, in an elevator. So can you give us, um, you know, some perspective on why is it so hard to reach out to the people that we love the most, you know, our family members. Why is it so difficult to share Christ with them? Um, well, well, let me first say, I, I think the vast majority of us don't have the gift of evangelism. And, and we need to just realize that, that for us, it's going to sound and feel different than it does for evangelists. Um, uh, I, I don't have the gift of, an ev- of evangelism. I, I think I'm, I'm an evangelistic chicken. Um, <laughs> I talk about it a lot, but I... I I share my faith as, as a non-evangelist, and that's the way most of us do. And we need to be really careful that we don't compare ourselves to the Billy Grahams of the world. I, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of evangelists speak, and they always talk about how easy and natural and everyday it is. And uh, I've heard evangelists say, I cannot sleep at night unless I've witnessed that day. And I usually sit there thinking, I'm sleeping just fine. I don't know. I, uh, it doesn't keep me awake. Um, how, how refreshing is that? We got a guy that wrote two books on evangelism, and that's what he's saying. So. Well, I, I just I think it's difficult yeah, for, it for most of us and in most situations. It's especially difficult with family, and there's a bunch of reasons. You've already touched on one. Um, the emotions just run so very deep. We have deep love for some of us, we have deep pain, and, and I mean, the, the emotions are really strong. Um, I think it's also important to remember, I think the stakes are pretty high. And, and what I mean is, um, the family is God's institution. It's his idea. Um, it is a very, very high priority on, on God's list of priorities. It, it, the marriage is the place where intimacy is formed. It's, uh, family is the place of stability and strength and character formation. And uh, there's a lot in the Bible about how the family is the place where these things get established very, very early on. Well, if that's true, then I'm pretty confident it's also a high agenda item on the devil's list. He hates the family. He wants to attack it. He wants to make it a place of alienation and pain rather than of joy and strength. So when we enter into these conversations, it's not just an exchange of different ideas. We're, we're, we're on kind of a spiritual battleground. Mm-hmm. And, and then I think there's also conflicting allegiances for a lot of us. Um, some of us come from families where, where the family is such a high value, high priority, and then we come to faith in, in Christ, and now we have a higher allegiance, and all of a sudden there's a tension there. Others of us come from situations where we don't value the family, and the family hasn't been healthy, and we'd rather not connect with them, and all of a sudden we become a, a follower of Christ, and God wants us to make that a high value, and so that's a tension. So no matter where we're coming from, I think there are these conflicted allegiances that we just need to be aware of as we step into these conversations. Mm, yeah, that's really good. It, it is. 
so difficult. And, and so, you know, one of the reasons we have you here, too, is to help us out. So maybe if you can, uh, for a few minutes, give us, give us some, some pointers, maybe a, a strategy, some words of advice in terms of how can we approach these family members. What are some things that we can do to, uh, to help build that bridge? In your book, you mentioned a TLC as, as an acronym of a strategy you use. Maybe you could talk to that a little bit. Sure. Um, well, I talk about time and love and comprehensiveness. Uh, as I interviewed a lot of people and talked to people, those were the three themes I kept hearing over and over. Um, so one is uh, it takes time. I, I think um, with a lot of our family members, they just have a long way to come. Uh, sometimes I like to illustrate it. I tell people, think about a scale from A to Z, and we want to get them to Z as quickly as possible. We want, we want to get them there. And we, we know how to have conversations from T to Z. The trouble is a whole lot of our relatives are back at D, or sometimes I say my, my family's at negative W. I don't know how far <laughs> I could, you know, I mean, so... So I need to have these gradual, slower conversations, like that one I had with my mom. That I think that, that phone call with my mom moved her from D to E. And uh, so it takes time, and we just need to realize uh, maybe we need to move gradually. Um, about uh, love, it's interesting. Um, family is the place where love is assumed, uh, but it's not always expressed. Uh, or at least it's not always expressed in a way that people really feel loved by us. Uh, I think family, it's just assumed. Well, of course I love him. He's my dad. Of course I love her. She's my daughter. But, but there's a tremendous challenge, I think, for us as Christians to say, now how do I communicate love to this family member? What, where can I establish common ground? What, what can I, how can I enter into their world? And it's, I think it's especially a challenge um, as our parents get older, and showing love to aging parents would be one set of challenges. There's another for those of us who have kids who are now becoming young adults. I mean, it's one thing to express love when they're five. It's very different when they're 15 and very different when they're 25. And at each stage, it's this challenge of what, what, what can I say, what can I do that doesn't just seem like a cliche that we've repeated uh, a million times. Good. Uh, you know, Randy, uh, one of the verses that you shared with me in dialogue about this is uh, Acts 14, 17. Maybe you could uh, walk us through uh, your, your take on some of this as it relates oh, yeah. to this. Well, it, it, it's, it's such an intriguing story. In Acts 14, Paul is preaching to a crowd of people who were kind of crazy religiously. I mean, they, they were worshiping Paul and Barnabas. They're bowing down and worshiping them. And, and Paul tells them, no, don't do that. We're just people like you, and you need to turn from your sin. But then he says to them in the midst of this, talking about God, he said that God has not left himself without a testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. He's telling them, these, these crazy religious pagans, that they've got joy in their hearts that actually comes from God. Um, I often say, uh, I call this joy-based apologetics, joy-based evangelism. A, a lot of us, I think, we do um, misery-based <laughs> apologetics. We want to point out to people how miserable they are. And, and, and by the way, sometimes that's perfectly appropriate. I think Jesus did do that with the woman at the well. 
But it doesn't always. It's not always. The, there's not one size or one approach that always fits. So sometimes we try to point out to people how miserable they are, and they're not miserable. You know, aren't you empty? No. Uh, aren't you searching for something? Not really. Um, you know, isn't there an angst inside of you? And well, yeah, if you keep talking to me, it will be. And uh, you know, that's really refreshing because in, in, in our neck of the woods here, I run into that quite a bit. People just have a lot of things that are going well in their lives, and some of them are miserable and are seeking, and many more are, are not. So that's uh, refreshing that it's not just, not just me or not just our area. So. Well, and you know, it seems to me that family is the place where a lot of those things are experienced, meals and celebrations and weddings. And, and so... It's a great opportunity to find the joy in their lives, not, not, not things that are from sin, but things that are really from God. Um, you know, I, I, uh, we had a tremendous challenge in our family when our youngest son rebelled and didn't want anything to do with our faith and got really far away, got mixed up in drugs. I mean, it was a terrible chapter in our lives. Um, we ended up sending him away in high school to one of these high-structured boarding schools. It was, it was kind of like uh, locking our son up in jail, really, for 14 months. Wow. And he came out of that and really didn't want anything to do with our faith, and we sent him away to college, and we were pretty fearful. But in, in between the high school and the college, I had this moment of, I need to figure out a way to express love to him. Obviously, my sermons haven't been doing it, and quoting Bible verses was not what he needed, and I needed to figure out a way. What, what is it in his life that brings him joy that I can enter into it? And there's a number of things, but a, a biggie was watching Seinfeld together with him. Now, people who know me think, you should have loved that, and, uh, but um, you'd think. And, uh, but, you know, it was, it was this constant temptation to want to preach a sermon about the immorality or the stuff going on on the show. I mean, it's a show about nothing. Um, I mean, we even went the to go see... was pretty good, though. You got you to give credit to that. I guess. John and I even went to go see the Simpsons movie together. Can you imagine? Lord have mercy. It was wonderful. Um, <laughs> um, we still have some inside jokes, which is great. Um, but that, that showed love to my son. That showed that I wanted to enter his world, and I wanted to have connection with him on those kind of things. And that set him up, I think, uh, for the Lord doing a, a great work in his life. He's come to faith. He's doing really, really well now. Wow, praise um, God. So, so we need to find ways to show love. And then third, so um, yep. comprehensiveness. Um, the gospel message that we believe is not just about getting your sins forgiven and going to heaven. Certainly that's the core, but it touches on a million other areas. It touches on relationships and family and marriage and money and jobs and, and so many things. And I think there's a lot of family members who either they've heard our, our talk on this and they don't want to hear it again, or, or, or they haven't heard it and they don't want to hear it. They, 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 you know, my older brother, he doesn't want to hear that talk. But he is willing to discuss all sorts of other topics with me. And so we need to think about how does, how does this gospel message give me hope in the midst of a world that has all sorts of issues? Where do I find the strength to make marriage work, to forgive each other, et cetera? A million topics. And those are the conversations we're more likely to have, the comprehensive aspects, and, and then eventually point to the core message there. That's great. So we've got the TLC, the time, 
the love and the comprehensiveness. And by the way, if you're not taking any notes, grab that weekly welcome and jot some things down that uh, you can uh, apply to, uh, to your life and to your family members. Uh, if you were here uh, last week, if you heard last week's message from Eric Ferris, you know that he drilled home you know, our, our mission at Christ Community, which is to make passionate disciples of Jesus Christ who are belonging, growing, serving, and reaching. And then as a part of reaching, that st- we have a strategy of invest, inform, and invite. And you've heard it a number of times during the course of this series. But this TLC formula is a fantastic way to do that investing, you know, spending time, you know, uh, showing that love, looking at it from a comprehensive uh, aspect of things. So as we move from invest in our strategy to inform, uh, question for you in this regard, are there, are there things that... Um, you know, we should be saying to our family members to make sure that we cover, or, or the, the flip side of that, are there things that we should not be saying in the midst of our, our conversations, the informing of his story and our story, are there things we should not be saying? So, so both, both sides of the coin there. Hmm. Um, well, as far as the things not to say, something tells me that we all know a whole lot of those things already, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> uh, most of us have said things we regret, most of us have made mistakes, uh, I told a friend of mine I was going to write a book on witnessing the family. He said, okay, here are your chapter titles. You ready? Chapter one, don't do it. Uh, chapter two, don't do it. Chapter three, did you think I was kidding? Um, <laughs> Sounds like a bestseller. <laughs> mm, so I, I think there's a lot of things that we've said we may regret. Um, and so I, I really encourage people, if that's the case, um, it's not bad to go back and apologize. It's not back to relive certain things and say, you know, I, I, if I could do it over again, I wouldn't have said that or I wouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. I, I think that willingness to admit mistake, failure, sin, that, that's the essence of the gospel message. That incarnates our, our message, I think. You know, don't, don't miss that because that's really big because most of us have, you know, missed opportunities or said things that we wish we wouldn't have said. And to, to do what Randy just said, to go back, make amends, look for those opportunities to, to express ourselves in that way, that, that's a big point for sure. So uh, I think all of us need to have, uh, if we were put on the spot, could we articulate in a clear, concise way what it is we believe? What is the gospel? And so if you, if you don't have that skill or that ability, develop it, learn it. Uh, there's materials, there's great things to help us learn. If you had three or four minutes, could you say, here's what I believe? Um, the truth is we probably won't get too many opportunities to do that, and we might get a chance just to say one aspect of it or one aspect, but, but we need to have that clearly uh, ready to be articulated. And I, I urge people, don't, don't count on being brilliant on the spot. Most of us won't be. So we need to know a clear, concise way of that. Um, but in, then, in that regard, oh. too, one of the ways we can help you, uh, if you've been around Christ Community for any length of time, we have what we call blue books, Randy, and that's the gospel message, how to know God personally. So uh, as a pastor on staff here, I have a bunch of those in my backpack and car or whatever else for when those opportunities come up. So if you don't have those, they're there to assist you. You can pick them up at our information counter at all of our campuses. So Great. Um, and then I would, I would urge people to ask questions and listen really carefully. Uh, sometimes I think we, 
I don't know, we have simultaneous monologues instead of real dialogues. And so we need to ask questions and listen, try to pick up on things, both what is said and, and the tone. Uh, I had interaction with my older brother for many years and never quite found out, never realized he was really into history. I mean, that had been true for a while. He'd been reading presidential biographies. And so I started saying, well, let's start going to some historical sites together. Let's have those conversations. And that has opened up the kinds of conversations, I think, that, that led to more important conversations. So it's asking, it's listening, um, it's showing love and respect, those kind of things. Now, is, are you a big fan of only having these conversations face-to-face, -face, or are you okay with phone conversations or emails or Facebook sure. messages? What, what are the means of conversation that you'd recommend? Well, uh, certainly face-to-face -face is best, of course, when you're talking about something as, as intense and as important as a relationship with God. But um, it's a great day that we're living in in that we don't have to have it all that way. And so, emails and Facebook messages or whatever. In fact, there are some pluses to those kinds of things because they're less threatening. They, people can look at them, read at it, digest it a little bit. They don't have to respond. You're not putting them on the spot. So I think, you know, a whole host of different things is a way to do, you know, this gradual thing. Um, by the way, I, I do think it's also interesting... Um, the best conversations I've had with my older brother have been when we've sat, we've been sitting in a car together, both facing this way. Interesting. Not face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. um, the face-to-face the -face conversation is too threatening or too pointed or something. There's something about, we're heading down this road, and uh, well, I, I don't know, we've just had the best interaction when it's less threatening. So I know I've talked to a couple of mothers of teenagers. I say, that, that, that's the only time I can converse with my teenager, you know, indirect way, because this is, Ma, what's, what's your problem? So, um, so we should ask our brother to go to the store, and hmm. then we can have a conversation that way. I'll tell you, that's a great point, though, in having, you know, taking advantage of, uh, of car time. We often have that with, uh, with family members, and I, I have three teenagers myself, and so I, I love to take advantage of that time. And, and have some, some good conversations. That's a, a really good value. Uh, let me uh, turn the corner in, uh, in regards to our, our topic here. And, uh, you know, here at Christ Community, um, we, we really uh, want to be a church of prayer. And we have a senior pastor who wrote a book uh, that helps equip us called Prayer Coach. And uh, so as we look at prayer in regards to reaching our family and having these hard conversations, in your mind, in your estimation, what role does prayer play in this entire uh, dialogue, you know, process? Well, I mean, it's absolutely crucial. I, you know, the evangelism process is this real mystery. It involves the human d dynamic for sure, people talking to each other, sharing words, listening, asking questions. But then there's this supernatural element of God doing what only he can do. And so prayer unleashes that. Prayer connects to that aspect of things. Uh, something that's very helpful for me or motivating to me is to remember, I, if evangelism is ever going to make any difference, it involves at least two miracles. Uh, there's got to be a miracle in their life. Uh, the, the Bible says we're dead in our trespasses and sins, uh, but, but in Christ God makes us alive. Uh, uh, Jesus said no one comes to him unless the Father draws him. So something absolutely miraculous, impossible, supernatural has to happen in their life. But then it also has to happen something amazing in my life. Jesus said uh, to us, to his disciples, uh, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
<laughs> so if anything is going to happen in this conversation, there's got to be at least two miracles. And that motivates me to pray more. Uh, ironically, it, it frees me up to be more bold. Uh, you're sort of stepping into the impossible. Uh, th- there's nothing I can do that can make a difference, and yet God chooses to work in the midst of this. Uh, so uh, often I point out uh, that passage in Colossians 4. I think we're going to get it up. Yep. It, it's we'll Colossians 4, it. 2 through 6, that weaves together prayer and proclamation. Uh, Paul says to devote yourselves to prayer, uh, meaning it's probably easy to quit. That's why he says to stick with it, to remain steadfast. Uh, he tells us to be watchful and thankful, meaning you pray these prayers and then you watch to see how God is working. And, and when you see answers, you give thanks and that encourages you and fuels you to keep going. But then look at how in the passage it's woven together of prayer with evangelism. So he says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I think it's a beautiful passage of our dimension, using the right words, being gracious, Um, but then God's dimension. We pray and ask him to open doors. We ask him to do the impossible. Yeah. I'll tell you, as as, uh, we were talking uh, a couple of weeks ago, one of the elements of prayer that really stood out in a conversation uh, was convicting for me, and uh, I've recognized that with some some friends and with some family members, I've, I've kind of given up and I had stopped praying. And uh, maybe some of you find yourself in that spot as well. And so I've tried to now turn a corner and devote myself to prayer again because we serve the God that does do uh, the impossible. And uh, so I appreciate that, that reminder for us. Uh, well, Randy, we need to uh, close up things here. I'm so appreciative of our, of our time together. As we close, is there one final challenge, word of advice, piece of counsel for us as we leave here today and go into the world of our, of our families and begin to look for ways to have these conversations at a new level? Any, any final thoughts? Well, I, I already said uh, don't expect it to be easy. Uh, I, I, think, I think we shouldn't wait for it to be comfortable. Um, I think we, we need to realize, look at what God did to rescue us. Look at what God did to draw us to himself. And there probably were a lot of uncomfortable moments along the way. So I think we need to give up our um, uh, idolatry of comfort. Uh, and so uh, I, I pray often, Lord, would, would you... Help me to remember, make your glory and, and their salvation more important to me than my comfort. And, and would you do what only you can do to draw them, e- even if that's uh, difficult and uncomfortable for me in the process. Great. Oh, that's awesome. I want to close with a passage uh, from Ephesians 3 because in this process we have to just realize that God is with us and his love is huge and uh, can give us the support we need. For this reason, Ephesians 3 begins, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep 
is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And it's that big God that is our hope and the one that we can uh, rely on in these tough conversations. Randy, thank you so much for being with us today. Would you give him a big thank you for Christ's community? Thank you very much.